Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 69. Welcome back, Adamantimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, and thank you very, very much for tuning in today. We've got a very cool episode for you today, which was recorded in my kitchen. So that's becoming a thing now. Maybe it's like the kitchen series. Today's guests like to call it the bird nest, probably because of the view of uh, of the city from, from the kitchen. Today's guest is Canadian-American guitarist Eric Shankman, most notably from the band The Spin Doctors. So Eric came and hung out um, for about an hour and we went through pretty much his whole music career from when he first started playing music to, of course, the release of their iconic and one of my favorite 90s songs, Two Princes. Said if you want to call me baby, just go ahead now. And we talked about all the cool, amazing stuff they got to do after the release of that song and album. And then we talk about his latest project, which is his third solo record that just came out. It's called Who Shot John? And uh, yeah, so tons of great stories, really, really entertaining conversation. I think you guys are really going to dig it, so we won't waste too much time here. So just quick word of promotion. If you guys are listening to this podcast today on iTunes or Apple Podcasts uh, and you don't subscribe already, please do hit that subscribe button. We'd love for you to tune in again. If you would be so kind, also leave a rating and a, a review. You can also subscribe on Spotify, Google Play Music, Uh, Stitcher, basically anywhere that you get your podcast. You can also follow The Adamantium on social media. We're on Instagram at The Adamantium. We're on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast. And we're on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Also, next week, episode 70 is a really big one. I mean, I love all the episodes. I love meeting everybody. But this one was probably the most surreal I've felt so far. So make sure you tune in next week. It won't disappoint. But next week is next week, and now is now, and we've got a great episode cooked up for you right here, right now, with Eric Shankman of The Spin Doctors, episode 69. Thank you guys very much for tuning in again, and have a fantastic week and long weekend ahead, and we will see you in September. Here with Eric Shankman, guitarist, singer, musician. Yeah. Founding one of the founding members of Spin Doctors. Uh-huh. That's right. Thank you for. Now I think I should just, I should rename this some like the kitchen I don't know kitchen the music kitchen podcast. So yeah, it's yeah, become it's, cool. it's become that now. It's like the bird it's the bird's nest. Yeah. You At know. first I was a little nervous about actually I wasn't sure if people would want to come up to the kitchen or whatever. So yeah. I, so I always rented at that room, but no, I think last it's good. Yeah, you get yeah. the it's a better view, that's for sure. Yeah, it's like a bird's nest up here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's good imagery. It's, it's pretty cool. So you I know you live in Toronto now. Did mm-hmm. you grow up in Toronto as I well? Did. You yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was transplanted here though. From, okay. My father was uh imported to Toronto as the first cello at the TSO. Really? Like, yeah. The symphony orchestra? Uh-huh. Yeah, the symphony orchestra. The first cello? The first cello. That would be the very first one. I don't know if they, I think they sit in a special place. Okay. But it's really an, it's an important position in the orchestra in the old ways, in the old days. 
So he got imported in 1966, and I was three. So we moved here when I was from three. from St. Louis, where he was St. the Louis. second okay. cello. Oh, this is how it works. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so first cello, as in that's the position, not he was like the first celloist in the Toronto. Right. Yeah. I was think it's actually a job description. A oh, first for cello. cello. He yeah, wasn't yeah. the first cello. No, he was like the play. first okay. the first chair. Right. You know, gotcha. They go to you. Yeah. Gotcha. You're the guy. Hey, you're out of tune. That's you. Gotcha. So yeah. then. How how did you get if you grew up here? How did you get connected with the guys from? Because they're based out of New York. The guys from the Spin. Dogs, yeah, we right? we started in in New York. I like to think of myself as a New Yorker, actually. Okay, a can American. If you okay, will. I'm I'm I as grew, many Canadian artists end up. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I like I like my whole family is from the the U.S. except yeah. for the people that my dad has spawned since he was here. My okay. mom didn't have any other kids, but my dad actually had some other kids so I have relatives here in Toronto and um, but uh, you know so I my mom grew up in Manhattan Um, my grandmother her mother was imported to the Bronx by her father like back in you know the turn of the century they were all uh, Jewish immigrants into the Lower East Side okay and uh, yeah and so I ended up moving we always went to New York as a kid my mom used to take me all the time my parents split up pretty much early Mm -hmm. and uh, so I grew up kind of feeling like a New Yorker and you know my grandma talks with a New York accent and she's from the Bronx and you know my mom's best friend is still lives in Brooklyn and um yeah, my my mom has out uh, has uh, Parkinson's and dementia that goes with that, and so she lives here in Toronto, and I, you know, you know, I I make sure everything goes okay for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like her caregiver. Right. Yes. Yes. So, um, anyways, yeah. So I consider myself like a transplanted New Yorker, really, and uh, as such, I I went to uh, I, I moved to New York when I moved back to the states after growing up here. Um, you know, long story short, I ended up going to the new school um, for social research, which is a fancy name for the Parsons School of Design. Okay. <laughs> in Manhattan, and uh, in 1986, I guess I, I I moved to New York, and then mm-hmm. I lived there until '94, um, and that was like my first stint with the Spin Doctors, and I started the group with uh, Chris Barron and. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, our fantastic drummer, very shortly thereafter, and uh, and uh, yeah, and that the band's thirty. Did you did you guys meet at uh, that school at the school? Yeah, we did. Okay, sort of variously, like we met we met there. It's it, you know really in a short shorthand. It's like if anybody's ever been to a school that started when you when you started going there, it's a different kind of an experience, right? So right. So that's was that was the 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 new school program for music down gotcha. in, in Manhattan was sort of a um, it was a it, it is it, it still is a program, but it was a jazz right. program started by a guy who really had to pick all the students. Mm-hmm. You know, so, do you do you remember the first time you picked up a guitar? Yeah. Yeah, I have a picture of it. In yeah, the house. yeah. What type of guitar was it? It's a huge, oversized classical guitar because I was like uh, probably about one and a half, I think. Oh wow, little okay. baby. Yeah, yeah. And I'm playing left-handed, which is interesting. Uh-huh. I don't do that. You don't play left-handed. No, no I do. I, you... I actually do. Okay, I, I try. I dabble in left-handed guitar, art, uh, but um, yeah, I started left-handed, I guess. You know. Okay. So I was always attracted to it. Yeah. Yeah. What was the? Do you remember the first song you ever learned on guitar? Um, 
I, well, not really. I remember though, like you know, hearing uh, the Doors, um, you know, light my fire on the radio. Right. Early. I remember like the records in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the house. Um, you know, oddly, how much is that doggy in the window? Red vinyl. Right. Forty-five. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, my mom had some records. My dad had some cool records. And uh, you know that's all you had was records. So. I was gonna say when you're then, when you're that age too, you'd like those would be the songs you're learning. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just stole my dad's records. I didn't steal them, but I mean, he didn't really have. He's a classical guy, and right. uh, but he w- he bought all the records that had any kind of a good string arrangement. Right, right. So then you're talking about really all the Beatles records, um, you know, Elton John records, um, you know, Frank Zappa records, anything with the classical arrangement, right. anything you know. So he had, and I ended up getting those, getting those, yeah. You know. And back then we used to buy records, yeah, <laughs> you know, for four ninety nine, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah, or three ninety nine sometimes, wow, yeah. When I first started buying music, it was like well, the CD. I mean, I had a few cassettes, but the CD had just started, like, yeah. become big. But they were, like, expensive. They were, like, twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, that was yeah. the really dark days for music, I think. Yeah. It's my, how I feel is the CD. When the CD came out, it was very disappointing for a lot of reasons. I mean, to anybody that was into music. I mean, first of all... It was all, expensive to buy music. Yeah, and it was ridiculously expensive. Like, yeah. stupid. Like, it was... You really felt like you were getting ripped off because mm-hmm. you, you were replacing this thing that was, you know, much larger and sort of way more tactile. Right with like words you could read and um, you know etc all sorts of advantages and um, you know with this other thing that really actually didn't sound as good at the time especially mm. and um, and it was just the same amount of money yeah. it's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> it's like, so ridiculous anyways you know that's the that's the music industry shooting itself in the foot like firmly well it just and over and over yeah, yeah. They, for a few times in a row there with the CD they really sort of alienated anything that might have been adhering to them like fondly yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've uh, I've yeah. had the conversation with people about, you know, where's next? You know, af- what goes next after streaming? You know, like I don't know. We keep taking away more and more. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be nothing. It's not already nothing. Yeah, I'm not really anymore. a smart like Uber thinker like that. I don't yeah, really know no, where it's, it's gonna go. I'm still no, working on trying to invent the app that finds your last pocket first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lose my keys. Yeah. But um, yeah, I know somebody. I hope somebody does one thing that I will say is that. Um, I have a lot of faith and musicians can be all sorts of different sorts of people and thinkers. And yeah. I, um, I do have faith that, you know, people come along and like, uh, you know, have really good ideas, like solving that particular mm-hmm. problem, but it won't be me. Yeah. I just make, so, I make. so how did you, you know, how did you learn mu- like how to play back then? Um, do you really playing by ear from the, from the records? Uh, yeah, I played by ear and then I had, haven't had a classical family. Of course they like, you know, tried to give me lessons yeah. when you play classical guitar, which right. is sort of ridiculous. Right. So I resisted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, you know, there was a place called the guitar Academy on Belmont street down the hill here. Right. And, uh, everybody would go, go over there for one reason or another. I had a few teachers over there and sort of everybody played guitar. It's sort of a guitar world, isn't it? Like yeah. sort of everybody sort of played guitar. And, and, um, I think, I suppose, I suppose as a, as a musician, if we're coming from a musical family, you know, it's not so much that uh, you're like there's any kind of talent that you're getting, but I think it mm-hmm. it increases your possibility for believing that you could do this for a living. 
Right. Right. Like I'm like, well, my dad died doing this, so you know, and so did his dad. So, so I'm like, I mean, I guess it's okay. I guess I'll just just go for it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? I'll follow through too. Yeah. Because right? I've known a lot of guys, really good, really good players and whatnot, that sort of just you know wound up doing something else or just you know, but not me. Do you ever think about what you would have done if if? Well, I was going to be a welder and then an anthropologist really? after that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, a lot of probably performance artist in the yeah. end. Yeah. You know. That, which is what I do. See, when I, like, I learned a bit of guitar when I was in high school, but by then, like, you could look up tabs on the internet and stuff like that, and you yeah. kind of learn, like, a very yeah. bastardized version of the art of sure, playing sure, guitar, sure. right? But, yeah, yeah, that's a different, it's the well, it's a, another dimension. It's yeah. really, I, I think it's super cool. It, well, I mean, it is. It makes, I mean, it's, yeah, it like, makes the process of it a lot more convenient to you than I, mean, I actually remember finding videotapes and like they would be really some of them would be like I mean, you could find like an old Hendrix videotape you, you might like you feel like you just discovered like the holy grail because you, mm-hmm. you would figure nobody else had that first right. of all you could see what he was doing you know yeah. and you could like you know but I'm just I, you know I'm more of an ear player in, right. in the end but I think it's fantastic so uh, yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I come from the generation right before you. You're like looking this stuff up and looking and listening. When when I was growing up, we were just listening. Yeah. Pr- primarily. And then going down to clubs. And clubs, interestingly, had a lot of... Like down here in Toronto, you had like blues clubs where you could go down and see the cat like the next night. Mm-hmm. You know? And like there was more clubs too, so... Right. Well, it depends on the person too and how you learn. Because I, I like... I ended up becoming a, a drummer. And that I, I, I played by ear. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually found it difficult to read sheet music for yeah. drums, like yeah. reading beats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But for guitar, it was it was uh, it was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never been the greatest like fondness. I don't have a fondness for reading. I can read, but mm-hmm. I would way rather play by ear. By ear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way rather, hmm. and I do actually because I can't really see very well. So yeah, it's got a, the iPad. Actually, I did a gig recently. And um, I was playing with a singer-songwriter that I know from up here, and uh, and I used the iPad because I had made some notes. Okay, it actually really worked well. Oh, there you go. Very new experience for so, Eric. There, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I aced the gig, but I was like, it was pretty cool, and you got because it's lit. You're right. <laughs> it's like wow. If your eyes aren't that good, which mine aren't, you know, it's like you, yeah, literally, it's literally lit. It's literally, just... <laughs> yeah, it's no. really cool, man. So you know, it provides its own stage lighting. For yeah, sakes. there you go. Um, so you, you mentioned that you know you guys last year did 30 years of the Spin Doctors. And yeah. We'll talk about some of that after, but I want to talk about first is your new record. Mm. So you I have a new a, record. You yeah. have a brand new record. I do. It's, well, it's about six months it's old. A it's a 2019 record. You know? They're like cars, right? Yeah. Someone might stumble across this podcast in 2050. And yeah. Like, and it'll <laughs> still be a new record. There believe you me. You can find it just the same way, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, on the thing. Um, yes. It's your third solo record. It is my third solo. Yeah. It's called Who Shot John? It is. Which, when I assumed at first it was about that the title came from John Lennon. Who yeah, shot John. Fair. I don't know if you've I'm sure you've heard that a few times. Yeah, but yeah, that could be it, or it could be JFK, I suppose. As well. Right? Who shot? Okay, yeah. Or, you know, maybe, but being yeah. a musician, I thought you know John. It's John probably Lennon. John, and being from could New York, be. where he was shot, could be. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where. So that's what I assumed. But then, totally fair. Yeah, I, I found it's about a, a violent incident that happened in a Mardi Gras festival. Am I right? Well, kind of. No, not really. It's, okay, it's um, <laughs> it's about. That's good though. That's a good guess. I like it. I mean, you know, the fact is, is that there's a question mark after it. So okay. It, it, right. It invites guessing, right? So, so which is it works. 
Um, yeah, uh, it's an interesting story. So I played, I quit the Spin Doctors in 1994 because of personnel issues. And um, in later, about seven years later, I, I rejoined and we've been back together ever since, same guys, original mm-hmm. guys ever since. So that's a whole other story. But uh, in the in the in the interim, I did some different things, and one of the things was I played in the Zydeco band. And, uh, and during that period, I had this little, you know, like Bojack Zydeco um, chord progression little thing going in through my head that I was trying to finish, I suppose. Called, like who shot John at the Mardi Gras? It was just a question, and I really didn't know what it meant. And um, but it got in my head. Okay. Who shot John at the Mardi Gras? And I was I would like it got in my head, and it never really left my head, which is funny. And so I do this gig. I do a regular Wednesday down at Grossman's Tavern in Toronto, mm-hmm. and um, and you know you, when you're singing on on a Wednesday night, you need to you've got to really pull stuff out of your socks. You know, get people feel like dancing. And so one night, you know. This is a it's a it's a it's a dancey groove, so I pull it out and um, I didn't really have a finished lyric and whatnot, and uh, you know that coincided with me doing these first two little recording sessions for the record, which amounted to going and visiting two very good friends of mine who are both drummers at their houses because everybody has a studio but Eric <laughs> and uh, yeah so I, I went to Van my friend Van Romaine and my friend Cody Dickinson I went to both of their places a couple of times each in the end and uh, so the second time I went then to Cody's place the first time I went to Cody's place in South Haven Mississippi I was like he said to me because I had said to him I went to get you to play uh, electric rub board washboard on, on my, my solo record and he said he hadn't played it in a while so I said well would you start again you know so later he thanked me actually he has thanked, since thanked me for like reminding him to play his electric washboard he's very good at it <laughs> he's a wah-wah pedal all sorts of interesting things you know in any case uh, so we I go down there and um, we're just sort of I had said I wanted him to play this washboard and he said what's the, what's the song called and I said it's, it's called Who Shot John and um, he started laughing and he said oh you know my old man used to say that so I was like really interested right away I said what do you mean your old man used to say it he said well that's an expression you know he'd say like you know if we were like trying to have him on he'd say uh, you know he'd get angry and say well don't give me the, any of that Who Shot John you know Cody you know like tell me you know just you know tell me tell me the truth you know right and um so I just thought that was hysterical okay that's the kind of thing that'll make you finish a lyric so I instantly finished the lyric like it just kind of finished in like one second after like 30 years right right so it's, I, an, it's an interesting little songwriting story like sometimes yeah. shit just like you know you held on to it on the back shelf or, with not even any intention I assure yeah. you it's like somebody wanted to dance so there it comes out you know and right. I really like the song I think it's amazing that you held the melody <laughs> for that long yeah well you know I mean it's loosely it's, it's folk it's a folk realm you know we live in yeah so folk and blues so yeah but it did hang on and it is true that things that hang on for that long are generally worth remembering so yeah because I mean I've heard like for I'm, I'm not a songwriter, but I when I used to make my own music, I even remember coming up with a cool melody, and I'd think, oh, that made a great song. By the time I got home, it was gone. You know? Yeah, that's And you hear about musicians pulling over their cars to yeah. write down melodies and record it to their phone, you know? That's funny. Yeah. yeah it's an emergency it's a, melody stop. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I, you have to learn how to deal with that. Like, that is actually a thing, because, mm-hmm. you know funny analogy I have some very talented friends over the years and you know this one guy I'm thinking of in particular 
just strikes me always that uh, John, he, uh, we'll just call him John. He, um, he, <laughs> he can't turn it off. Right. So it's like, I'm like, how do you get into the zone, man? Like this is a long time ago. And he's yeah. like, well, you know, actually I can't really turn it off. I never thought of that before. I'm so like, you really, you, in the zone you can't always. like, well, you can't turn it off. I'm like, Oh Jesus, that, yeah. that's a whole other set of problems. Right. You know what I mean, how do you sleep at night? Yeah. Like, so for, <laughs> for guys like us, it's like, I always took those little moments where I couldn't remember the thing. Right. Getting back to your thing. It was like, as these always, re, I was always very reassured that I at least had had like a germ that would, that was good enough for me to be that excited about to try right, okay. to remember. Okay. Right. You know, it's funny, you know, other little examples of that are like hearing something that you like were working on from say like around the corner or somebody's listening to it in another room and mm-hmm. there's bus noise in the way that you think it's something else. Right. It's another again, you're like, wow, what is that? <laughs> you're like, it's something that you actually like wrote or were working on with somebody mm-hmm. else. I, that, that those are the things that prove to me that it's worth staying after. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, funny analogy wow yeah and the album the album is like this it's like a mix of you know four or five different genres even which has kind of always been what you're about was that something that you were cognizant of like you you wanted or just kind of end up to that way I think this record has a little blues in everything in it okay because basically as a guitar player electric guitar player like you know middle-aged white electric guitar player <laughs> I, I have like you know it's it's tough it's tough for us guys now these nowadays old men but uh, uh, you know I, the blues is important to me I mean I'm a sort of a jazz and blues musician I think and uh, it's it's as I get older it's it's really the form that really governs everything that I feel passionate about in music so like I I I'll play any jazz that has enough blues that I can feel it you know okay. Latin music or rock right. and roll or you know anything whatever it is right like so it's like um, it's in my voice I guess as a guitarist so yeah. yeah so this record has that it's like where I'm at now you know through the lens of you know my guitar voice really over the years because I've been doing it for a long time but then it turns out that actually when you play behind singers for a long time you, you sort of get the bug you want to start singing which I eventually happened to me and I'm very lucky I've been very lucky with the spin doctors over the years because um, I get to sing always like uh, at least one song a gig okay always so you know there's always one or one or so outside songs that uh, Chris likes doesn't want you know but didn't want to sing for one reason or another so um you know and we build it into the show so I get to re I get to introduce him afterwards you know right it works in a showbiz way but from for me it's like I've sang on you know everything and you know on huge did stages, you did stages. you always sing or was that something that came later I used to yell like I was sort of a punk kid you know right um, I grew up in the 70s and I you know uh, you know blues first um like folk blues and stuff like that but like as a teenager quite rebellious you know like new wave you know punk right. I, I resisted for a while and then my friends keyed me and they were kind of like we need a guitar player for our like blues band you know we heard you play tush you know like I yeah. you know, it's, I was like okay but um yeah you know there it is so so when but were you singing back then as well or like yelling 
like maybe yeah, a little right. a little yeah, like but when you started up the spin no doctors it was songs. never in the conversation that that you wanted to sing or um was it later in your career that you no, felt comfortable I, I, singing on i have tracks? always i've always like if i write a song that like just comes out like a song which happens extremely rarely but it has happened periodically for my whole life so it's like even in the fifth grade I wrote a song so I know that it has happened before right like every two or three years you know Eric writes a song and it's, <laughs> like, it's true it's like you know and like so <laughs> yeah so I, you know and those songs I'm always perfectly willing to sing okay right so I don't mind I'll and I've always been like the kind of singer that if somebody says do you want to sing Eric I will say sure and okay. I'll think no but I'll say <laughs> yeah, yes, right? Yeah. Like so. One of those things. Yeah, so I've learned over the years. I've been so, very lucky. So. so what about when there was a period where Chris lost his voice? That's true. Yeah, was it There's ever... There's been two or three periods where really? Chris is the weirdest physical entity. He's he's lost his voice like due to a weird palsy that he doesn't have. Like It's just like a viral thing twice. Wow. Twice. Unrelated incidents. It's crazy. And so was it ever part of the conversation then that you might... No, because if I wasn't in the band the first major time when that happened. Okay. So I don't okay. know if it was so due to stress or what. And the second time, um, you know, like there was a lot of tension around like stage volume and things like that. It right. happens. And so there was, you know, I don't know. The, I think the, the, I, it never came out onto me as like, I'm going to be singing. Um, right. Because I wasn't really in it at the time. I think the sync guy like um, sang one gig. But yeah, they just took time off when he when he wasn't singing, and um, in sync like yeah like yeah just like there's from... one gig I, there must be a wow. tape or something. But anyways, the for me and Chris like we actually sing two part really well. Um, there's a few songs on record like that, and okay. so um, and we like singing together. So we will occasionally write something where we sing together, or there'll be something that really needs a harmony, and we'll you know. I think that's our basic rule in the Spin Doctors, and my basic rule in music too is if you have an idea that's worth talking about or an arrangement um, that's worth bringing into you know conversation of a song or what have you, that you know then it, it's you know it's legit. If it sounds good, it is good. It, if right. it makes it better, then it makes it better. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Okay. So um, yeah, so we, we we work like that, and like I said, I've been really fortunate because I've been able to sing. You know, on every gig. So I've learned over the years, you know, how to sing in a, to a big crowd. Right. That doesn't scare me. And, uh, you know, but I've really, this record, I've really come into my own, man. Because now, basic math, three years at Grossman's Tavern, three sets every Wednesday night, I did the math. It's like basically 150 times three. Wow. Which is like 450 sets of music going on that wow. anyways now. Which times what? Like seven, say, just to be lucky. That's like a lot of tunes. That's like 3,000 songs. Wow. Right? I think my voice sounds like <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... And you, after I, driving to Quebec and back. And yeah. That hours. was with the doctors that I was like, yeah. I didn't have to go, you know, and, and you know, those guys are extremely low, um, motivational and, and inspiring. So did they come all the way from New York? Yeah, to we Quebec? all come wow, from where we come from. That's a long... No, but, but to, to they go flow. to Quebec? They, they know, flew. We, okay. We all, all flew. Right. I just drove because it's a special case where... Right. I, I had to bring a couple guitars. And right, right. Okay. So who did you who did you work with on this album? Uh, Van Romaine, Cody Dickinson, and um, a Canadian guy Sean Kellerman, who, who's from uh, Kitchener. He lives in Kitchener, and he's a wonderful blues musician. He's one of my favorite Canadian blues musicians, and I've worked okay. with him uh, over the years uh, with Jerome Godbu's band. We've worked together. Okay. And, um, 
And so Sean and I produced uh, Who Shot John together. I asked him to uh, come on board and and, uh, and co-produce it with me and play bass on it. Normally, I've actually played a lot of bass with him, but we sort of, I don't know, we're kind of goofy. and we like, we're, we're like friendly with each other and goofy as guitar players. So, you know, we uh, sort of, sw- I switched it up. So okay. he played bass on a lot of these tunes. And you played guitar. Uh, and I played all the guitar and sang and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's really, and it's funny because you can't really, t- when you listen to it, you can't really tell the way that I made it. Like, I really, the, the stuff that's cut live is guitar and drums and scratch vocals, mostly. Um, but the guitar, the, the guitar and drums, the rhythm guitar and drums is completely live. And then we rec- we just cut the, the uh, vocal and the bass and other guitars up on top if we needed them. Sometimes we didn't. Mm-hmm. And it sounds very live, the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. like the whole thing sounds like a party. And um, I'm not sure how that happened that way, but, um, you know, that's how it sounds. And uh, that's how I recorded it. And those are the three dudes. Um, really, there's a couple of special guests. but So how does that process, does that process differ from how you would record something with the doctors? Mm. Yeah, a little bit because probably with the with the spins we would record we would probably just record everybody together at gotcha. least initially, and then you know we might you know. I was um, watching the when I was prepping for this, watching the video again for uh, for Two Princes. Oh yeah, and uh, it's so much it comes with a lot of nostalgia of that time period. It's a it's a great song for a couple of reasons, eh? Yeah, it's fan. I mean, it's it's just a pinnacle of that time. Have you period. seen the little yeah. South the South Park episode where the guy Bory puts he puts the hat on on? Uh, I think it's it's not Carbon, is it? There's the other guys, Kyle, and he puts the hat on and the song plays when the hat goes on him. No, there's like three every time times. he puts on the hat. Yeah, when he puts it on. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, because it's got a sound too, right? Like yeah. the sound of that song and the sound of that drum intro, particularly. Yeah. And uh, you know, and whatnot. Yeah, it's very. It's, it has a huge connotation for that if you were alive in that time that time period yeah, it is very early 90s yeah. and even just like the attire in the video yeah, the, the style thing. how it's yeah. shot every, like everything yeah. about that yeah. video yeah. the, the uh, full yeah. frame isn't that funny the, the, one, the one thing that, that I found really interesting and I couldn't quite figure out is because there's a lot going on in the video and then there's a period there's like a section where it turns it goes from black and white to color yeah and then back again yeah so why was that one section? In why color? is that? It's our little um, uh, Wizard of Oz moment. Probably. Okay. I, you know, I guess. And it was sort of funny. That video was. You have to understand that, like, the Spin Doctors were like huge in 1993 mm-hmm. and 94. Just for some context. Yeah. Which is funny, but if you look up the charts, you'll see. And um, and the thing was is that at the time we had. So we so we blew up and we did all the typical things that you might think you know we did Letterman which was a big show and mm-hmm. we did um, we did like whatever else there was a you know um, yeah I've got a few questions about different the, those those shows and, and and any other TV that we did like they would never show Mark and we sort of had a running joke that they never show the black guy on TV right really like we yes <laughs> we would like <laughs> we'd do like the show and be like yeah right you know no, there's no way man. They, they show us all the same, but sure enough, every time you check, it'd be like, no, they don't show the black guy as much. That's so weird. So wow. the Two Princes video is like, you just reminded me by saying it goes color. That's not the reason why, but if he's the star of the Two Princes video for that reason, yeah, it was like, well, we'll make the Two Princes video about Mark. All about Mark. Yeah, because, you know, or just make it center Mark-centered because... Um, 
because of that reason. That was the reason why. Wow. And okay. yeah, and then we had this director guy who, you know, at the time, I don't know. I think probably it goes color, be, you know, because it could. Yeah, at the time. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Because we yeah. were making an expensive video, and the song is really good, and it was good then too. It was Two Princes is this, the type of song, like it's fun to. It's actually fun to listen to. It's fun yeah. to play. It was like a. It was like when from the very moment that we played that tune, like you know, it was just a good feeling. It I was, was going to say when you wrote it, did you just always did been, you have yeah. the feeling you were sitting on gold yeah. as soon as you yeah, wrote it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I always wondered when you yeah. when when yeah. when you have a, a massive hit. Yeah. Does, do you yeah. know it from the beginning, or does it end up? Yeah, there? we knew. No, no, we knew it. We were already a club band, and Chris had it as a ditty, like right. on his guitar, and the, like I mean, I suppose the genesis of it was that, like you know, I essentially like like. You know, I I just revoiced the chords against his melody, and then mm-hmm. put the the rhythm and change. You know, put that rhythm that's on and on it, and then Aaron like came up with that freaking great drum fill, like pretty much like right after that. And wow. so, yeah, it just really came together. Yeah, and as soon as that happened, we just knew because we were after. Um, we were a really big club band at the time. We 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 we, we in start, New York. Yeah, we started from like nobody to like packed clubs, right? So, like we can rock the house, right? And we still can really rock the house. Back then, we could really rock the house. Yeah, I mean, because that's all we did. And uh, so we were looking for tunes, you know, like that. And you yeah. just knew which ones they were. And that tune, as soon as it like hit the floor, you know, the very first time, it was just like, oh man. This is great. This is going to be great. You know, if it ever gets out, it'll be great. You know, that's what we said about sure it. And enough. then, yeah, it was pretty close though, because what happened was, is that the record come out and then we made a video for it actually, because we were so certain it was such, you know, this, and then it died. And then we went on a stupid tour with the record company and that tour died. And then we were like ignorant because you are when you really like are just behind your, in your youth and you're just yeah. having a good time. We didn't realize a couple of things happened. And Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, which is another, the, yes, the second yeah. most popular song on that record. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong hit um, due to like radio, two radio contests in particular, you know, where you phone in and you vote this song or that song. Right, okay. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong kept knocking all these other songs out on in Vermont and in, in Honolulu, two radio stations. Interesting. The Vermont DJ, he contacted Sony Music and told them you know this is a hit record right so then they lit it up and that happened then the record took off a little miss can't be wrong went up the charts right so yeah. then two princes got Came another back. it got another shot and then we had to make another video for it right. that's the video that we made the second time and then when it so we already i think little miss can't be wrong was in the top 20 it went up around you know 16 or 17 or something like that so then when two princes hit it, it was it's just you know it's kind of like I don't know baseball you know what yeah. I mean it was like you know it was just like line drive you know it was you know it, you know and, and it drove the other one in and yeah. you know and it really did well I I think it's number I think I think it peaked at four or three in yeah the, in the top ten the top one yeah and well, yeah and it was in the top one hundred for forever so was yeah. the record the record was there all year but that was sort of how that's the story of two princes that's how it happened and we still cool. end every set with it well almost we we play it second last. And like I said to begin with, it's fun to play and it's fun to listen to, you know. 
and it's, it's a good time song. It's yeah. a good time song, and if you were if you were around at that time, it's an even better time song because then you're going like, oh man, I met my wife. Oh man, you know, you I got my appendix like at home. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all sorts of shit. You guys help me get through. The, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like it's funny, you know. Like that's all sorts awesome. of crazy people wow. will come up to you and say. But shit. that's why I always wonder about those songs. Like I also yeah. like I wonder if you know yeah. when the Gallagher brothers were sitting writing Wonderwall, where they yeah. like this is going to be the biggest song this yeah. country's ever heard. Like. I think yeah, but, you know, well, really, you know, realistically, I think that you know, all sorts of people write great hit songs all the time. Yeah, there is like you have to; it has to be in the the same you know stew with like timing and you know happenstance and opportunity, all these things. You know where you are, whatever you know this. But 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 having said that, you know there there is something about hit songs. I think certainly there's a category of hit songs that fall into you know some kind of quirkiness like something that's like a little off you know but but in like two princess doesn't really have a chorus mm-hmm. it's, it, it, I, I, I like a lot a lot of times I think you know if some singing if some songwriting professor got a load of that song in a class for example you know they might just chuck it out and say well that doesn't you know once you go back Chris, Chris can you take this home and bring it back and with a chorus yeah you know what I mean because <laughs> it doesn't have one and it's sort of like you know I remember when we wrote the, the tune it was like you just knew you're just like oh this you know because music it doesn't always you know I mean you know, sometimes it just makes you dance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be aware of what you're doing or what you got, you know, and that, uh, you know, there you go. I think wow. we knew what we had. Yeah. And and sometimes you do. There's your to, to your point. Yes. <laughs> That's, it. That's the answer. Yes. Um, okay. I picked out a couple because you were saying back then you, you had some very kind of uh, monumental gigs, and I p- picked out a few things that are like things that are iconic and extremely rare for the for any band to actually get on or do in 1992 the first one you perform on Saturday Night Live yeah yeah um so I just wanted to point these out to see if you had any memories and if you ever reflect on yeah. these moments oh yeah you can't so play that SNL. SNL's the first yeah. one yeah yeah no it's 90 I think 94 Four. Was it later? Okay, maybe my information was wrong. Okay. No, it's okay. I'm just, it's my information might be wrong. It's my head. I, I like. I think it's '94 because '92. Yeah, it's '94 because I quit the band in '94 and we played. That was our pinnacle. Sort of, we were really, really hot. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in the especially the first half of that year. So we played SNL um, with uh, when when. When Two Princes was like super hot, yeah. Um, so we had a hit song, and, and that other one, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, was had just been a hit song, and we had a hit record because at the time, like See, record two songs. Uh, no, for, we were so successful in that year that we actually could decide what we wanted to do, and we rarely played Two Princes on TV. I'm not sure okay. if we had played it at all. We'd be like, no, nah, I don't want to play that. So we played Jimmy Olsen Blues and Little Miss. We usually did that instead. Yeah. Which is cool because Jimmy Olsen Blues is a very fun song to play. Awesome. Um, for all do you remember who was hosting that day? Yeah, absolutely. Joe Pesci. Wow, okay. the host. And, and that um, was like, and not only to be on SNL anytime that was yeah. also like the pinnacle of SNL like we, that's we that's played like Adam the week, Sandler time you know, yeah no, we Chris played Rock. the week after um, 
Sinead O'Connor ripped up a picture of the Pope on SNL. Right. We, we wow. played the next week after that. So, so they were like, Lauren, probably. Was there an atmosphere? That yeah. Like, Lauren Michaels came up to, to. He came. He came into into the dressing room and said, "You better not do anything." Like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll never work in this town again. But um, yeah, I I was I remember sitting in the makeup chair right next to Chris Farley actually. Just like, wow. yeah, just kind of going, wow, this is really crazy. Surreal. And also, the SNL room is um, a very famous, um, it's a famous soundstage in uh, 30 Rockets. Um, it's the Toscanini room. Okay. The room where um, Toscanini, the famous conductor, conducted the NBC orchestra in Radioland, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so um, for me, when, when, when I found out that we were doing Saturday Night Live um, and that you know you got to fly in and you check and then they we were on a tour so we flew they flew us in and we flew out and we flew back in you know it was all very you know jet setting and cool and um, yes when I remember it was either my father or my grandfather when they figured when they figured out where the room was they're like that's the Toscanini room so it was even worse for me because I was playing the Toscanini room <laughs> on, on top of all the nerves and all the right. Joe Pesci it's, it's right. hard to take it all and then you get down there and like then yeah, do you I, get show nerves yeah. Still? I, well, not so bad anymore, really, I guess. But then? That night. That night, yeah. Yeah, that was, I couldn't get, I could not get calm. But, you know, the thing about nerves is that sometimes it's good to have nerves. Like, sometimes, yeah. you know, you really, you can't judge yourself in performance. Performance sometimes is about what you're doing. And sometimes that's, you're nervous, you know. Sometimes you're, like, making an ass of yourself or falling on your face. I think, you know, that's just what you get. And as long as you don't get completely fired or, you know, like, lose everything, if you, you still have a job, then it doesn't really matter what happened. At least you're still there and that's what you do so I always look at it like kind of like that like I told you already like if they say do you want to sing I say yes and in my right. head I say no but I you know I already said you yes anyways, so you're right yeah. there like, right like that you know okay the next one yeah. you guys in January 1993 you're on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine yes. yeah. another kind of crazy that, yeah, yeah that does not happen to yeah I got anything. a good story from that so I was like really happy about the you know you can't not be happy you have to understand that the context of being on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine in 1993 is like there's no internet. Right. So it's like, you know, there's no... It's like a huge deal. It's like mm-hmm. there's magazines. I'm a massive, and, massive fan of Rolling, yeah. classic Rolling Stone yeah, it's, magazine. It's like a huge yeah. deal. Like any way you slice it, it's just like you know you're on the cover of Rolling Stone. You're in every fucking news newsstand, you know. So um, I actually happened to be in Toronto because uh, it was Christmas time, and um, I used to go down to the Rivoli and, and shoot pool because I don't know if it's still there, but there's a pool. Yeah, the Riv- well, the Rivoli's still there. The Riv- there was a pool hall up the second floor, and go shoot pool there, and it had a jukebox, and. Um, and, and much music was on the same street, just up the street with that little, they had a, the speaker's corner so you could, record, you, could, right. you could request a song in this little Clark Kent kind of Yeah, box I remember it. Thing. Yeah. I actually... I did it once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was, I was like say. 12, 13 yeah, when see? I was, yeah. That's funny, right? It I don't want to know what I requested at that yeah, time. No. But well, yeah. I do because I, I actually, I went down there after the song was on the radio and whatnot and we had a video and I requested I think I was two princes I requested and, and they played it and they played my request which was funny yeah. I found that really sort of thrilling yeah. in any case but um, you know it's so funny thank god the um, yeah so that was like much music was right there it was just right right there and like that that, that whole the whole scene was was uh, you know like much more 
tactile. Like, you know, you had to, of course there was no, nobody had a smartphone in their hand. Yeah. People were engaged with what they were engaged with, like on the street, mm-hmm. person to person in a magazine stand, whatever. Yeah. So I'm like walking along queen street going to the Rivoli, I think. And I just felt, I could just feel like, I mean, man, I felt like I was on the cover of Rolling Stone. There was one other time I was on the cover of a guitar magazine in Europe. So when did you get the call for? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember when we got it, but it was like, you know, I remember the call. I remember that. And then we did the photo shoot. We did the interview. And, you know, it was all very exciting. It was super exciting, man. Uh, And I just remember that feeling. It was like walking on this... There's, there's, there's no feeling like that. You, you just like, you could, I just felt like there was like an aura around me. Yeah. I had a Rolling Stone aura. I felt like people were just looking at me, going, yeah. "I think I see that I guy, see somewhere. That guy somewhere." Yeah, it's just funny, you know. Like I said, I was gonna say it only happened to me one other time. I was on the cover of a guitar magazine in England, and I was like going out to do something, and I could. I, I just could feel it. I was like, there were, I passed this magazine store, and there was yeah. a bunch of the copies of the magazine, and it's just kind of like. Special. Yeah, you can just kind of you feel like it's a nice feeling to like know what that feels like, man. Now you have it. It's kind of feels like being on Facebook for anybody that's wondering. It's, it's <laughs> sort of the same thing, right? But yeah, at the yeah. time, it was a very rare feeling, you know. So, anyhow, you know, very interesting having to deal with these things. Occupational hazard, you know. Okay. okay. Now the next one. The next one's a very unique one. 19, also, 1993, you guys performed on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So what? What is that? I mean. Because with that too, you got the whole, you got to work with the illusion of working with puppets too. Well, that actually, to be honest with you there, that was 1994. Okay. So and that was another thing that happened in 1994 was that the, uh, the spins opened for the Rolling Stones and, and uh, here, but those two gigs, I actually had quit. That's like, like literally the month before. So that's our song and I was on Sesame street, but that's actually, oh, you weren't in, you weren't no, in that's okay. Anth- Anthony. He kind of, he sort of looks a bit like me sort of, okay. if you don't know me, but, um, I can tell you that like, um, you know, it's thrilling. It's like one of the best things that the band's ever done and it comes up and, uh, and those guys, you know, had a great time doing it. So did you play the stones gig or was that? No, I, well? I, I actually oh, quit man. knowing they were going to do that, but it's okay. actually as a music, I think anybody that you talk to, except for maybe a few select people like that actually work with one, one of the, one of the Rolling Stones will probably tell you this, you know, it's kind of like, one of those kiss of death gigs, you know, it's like, you know, you still, really? you get, yeah, everybody goes to see the stones. Right. You know what I mean? More so than other, you know, so it's sort of like you're there, it's thrilling, but you're really there to see the stones too. And it's right. like, sort of like, that's what you're doing. Interesting. Right? So yeah, those guys had a for good one, time. Thank you that. very much yeah. that you, for yeah. saying when I, when I speak to them that, that I might have a rolling stone one day right. interview. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I hope you do. Yeah. yeah be cool. I get some stories there, right? Okay. Yeah, the old guys are great to talk to. Yeah. Well, they're the most, the most, you I'm, know, the most stories. Yeah, know? old stories. Man. And my last one, and I know I got the date right for this one, okay. is oh, but no, but that was after you left too. Ninety four was, was also Woodstock. I was on that gig. You were on that gig. Yeah. So what was Woodstock ninety four like? Very close to me quitting the band. Actually, I was getting frustrated at that point. Um, it, um, with the it, 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 that's a complex answer. It wasn't just okay. personal. It was like there was some business stuff going, going on at yeah. the same time. 
Um, but and was that happening during the, the time of the Woodstock gig? Yeah, and we okay. were doing some festival so stuff some... as well. That just happens on the heels of a hit record, really. Right. Stuff that, under the heading of stuff that happens, you know, on the heels of a hit record, there's like business arrangements and contract periods and things like that, and then people's expectations and so forth and so on. Right. You know, so takes the fun. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's more more definitely more business. I was on Woodstock, yeah, and uh, we. Um, it, it was it was thrilling, man, to do Woodstock. It was I, there's no other real way to say it. You know, the stage was huge. Um, I was really close to quitting the Spin Doctors at that point. I, I think it was probably about two weeks before I quit. Right at that time, so that it wasn't the greatest gig probably for the band. Um, although I think uh, you know I was dressed nicely and. <laughs> Chris, you know, I was having I was having personal problems with Chris at the time. He was just a little out of hand, I thought, and so I, I still see it that way. Although I wasn't playing particularly well either. Although one thing I will say about Woodstock, which was amazing, was that uh, uh, you know we elected to we were playing extremely loud at the time, with big amplifiers, and um, decided to just try to do the Woodstock trip which was basically at the time of Woodstock there wasn't really any PAs so the, the guitar amps were really the king okay. at the time you know so you, you know everything was sort of really through guitar amp technology and the guitars if you go back and you listen to 60s stuff you know the guitars would sound great Mm-hmm. It's one thing the vocal okay. sound shrill and whatever, but yeah. live stuff, the, the old you know those guitars sound great. They're like beefy and you know that's what I grew up on. I love that stuff and it's uh, awesome. Yeah, so that's what we did on Woodstock was we used. Um, I, I was playing through two two stacks four by twelve cabinets with two big Marshall heads on top of one on each, and I chained them together through the second channel to the first channel which you can do and uh, put them both like in the sweet spot and there was about 25 feet behind me I think and um, I just remembered the guy the monitor guy said what do you want in the monitors just like 25 feet and I said just some kick drums some bass and some vocals please Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I could feel the guitar like shaking my pant leg like from behind me wow you know it was just yeah so to me like Woodstock was sort of like this yeah maybe that's Maybe that's gratuitous or selfish, but for me, Woodstock being like a little kid of the '60s, which because I, which is what I was, mm-hmm. it was this like opportunity to, I don't know, take the car out for a spin, like to really play that shit up, where, yeah. where like you know the people that I grew up listening to were, you know, this is. I don't know. It's like taking the car out and the, right. the, 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 the you Chevy. You interacting with any of the other bands there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I remember everybody was walking by everybody else, and I remember right. you know meeting all the people That's that were. Cool. Yeah, there was, and there was. They took pictures and all this sort of stuff. There was. Mm-hmm. There's a book, you know. I'd, I think I met like uh, the Chili Peppers were there the day that we were there, so I saw those guys. And Dylan was there right right after us in his band, and I knew the drummer. And uh, the bass player Tony Garney, and uh, so those guys. I remember those guys. Stevie Winwood was playing really close to when we played. So wow. um, those guys were right there, and it was really sort of muddy and whatnot. But everybody came in yeah, and went was... out really quickly. So it was more just. I remember going to the truck and listening to some of the mixes because uh, Bob Bob Clear Mountain, who's a famous mix engineer, was was mixing uh, the live stuff, and I heard I got to hear a little bit of that, which was sort of thrilling because you know he's like the man, and so. Um, you know, it was exactly what you th- 
probably thought it would be. You know, it's like, yeah. wow, this is fair. They're supposed to do another Woodstock this They're year. supposed to, but I don't, I don't think, think it's going to happen. It doesn't look My like friend it's Corky happen. Lang is like, he's he was at Woodstock. Yeah. He actually played drums on I'm Going Home by Alvin Lee, which is an overdub. Actually, that's yeah. a whole other story. But but uh, he uh, he was he was sought after, you know, because he's one of the last guys that's still around. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he called. He was he was we're always trying to do gigs together one way or another. And he called me up and he said, Ah, oh, that stuff's going to fall through. He said, I don't know. So what's supposed to happen a month from now? And yeah. Still yeah. Sold a single ticket. Yeah, I don't like, think it's gonna. I, I, I don't think, I don't so think it's either, gonna. Happen. Which is too bad. They have, yeah. Because as far as you know, music lineups come, mm-hmm. you know, it's. I know. It sounded really at, good, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like depressing looking at most festival lineups now. If you're a rock and roll fan, anyways, mm-hmm. and that Woodstock lineup was real, real good. But we played a great festival yesterday. The Spins did. We, yeah. Up in Sherbrooke. Yeah, there was tons of people. And Is that was at the Quebec yeah, Festival d'Été or something, something like that? Yeah. 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 They usually have a pretty good lineup. Oh, it was yeah. Fucking wicked, man. That was like. So who was playing? Who was playing with you guys? That. Uh, we 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 played. Uh, we played, and then they had this amazing fireworks show right afterwards. Oh, okay. It was full of people, man. The band sounded great. We rocked the house. It was really really fun I always try to get the spins to come up here they, you know they know American bands are reticent sometimes to come up here somebody yeah, has yeah. a problem with customs once and, and that's it yeah. you know or you come up in January deal, either yeah. or you know and then it's like ah, it's too cold or I don't want to go through customs or oh, the money's no good or whatever right but uh, I tried anyways we it was, it was nice you know it was nice to get them up here Will you guys be playing in? Will you or the Spins be playing in Toronto anytime? Yeah, I I play here every week on Wednesdays. I always am playing at Grossman's Tavern in Toronto. Gotcha. Okay. Every Wednesday I every play Wednesday. there. Sometimes to nobody. Some sometimes to a half full room. It's a funny place, Grossman's. It's a it's an old time bar, man, and it's been yeah. a blues bar for a long time. So it's sort of like music happens there, no matter what. And right. uh, you know, I uh, I really just work on my my craft down there every Wednesday so yeah if you're in the city you can come and see me and I might play my my shit this this record that I have I might some some weekends some weeks I play my stuff more than others if I'm there with the guy that I work with weekly Leonardo Valvasori he's a he's a great blues bass player around Toronto he works with Sue Foley and when he's out with Sue Foley then I might play my stuff a little bit more than I normally do when Leo's in town we do more of a uh, straight ahead like old classic blues but you gotta come see me man because I don't do like I mean there's always something interesting it's just like my shit with the spin doctors there's always I can't help it I gotta yeah. I gotta fall down somehow Yeah, it's always interesting come watch me fall so that's what I think <laughs> that's how I think about it but so yeah I'm here and then like I say and then we're doing I've been doing media stuff like crazy for the last six months I have my my friend Neil and I have been making videos um and I'm not sure how, why really to, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the business is so crazy. It's a whole other subject, but the business is so crazy now, um, that really like part of the motivation for making a record, even for me was just to sort of figure out what the new, what the, uh, the foot in the new school, then what the new school thing is, right? you know, because the old shit is just like our old shit is like it's the old business right so it still exists mm-hmm. guys like me like I still have those those songs are still hit songs from the 90s they still actually work to get us work like right. we work on that shit mm-hmm. but you know as me Eric Shankman you know or as the Spin Doctors you know 019 it's like you know um, it's more about like sort of you know trying to put stuff out there so I you know, I may have had a reckoning with this record. Uh, I realized that I'm more of a, 
uh, I make music more than I make money usually you know it's like mm-hmm. my job is making music I like I like Instagram for its collage-ness yeah it looks like a bulletin board and, and right I like I used to like you know spray painting on walls and drawing cartoons and things like that so I mean to me like the vernacular of the new social media stuff that's up now is really interesting so one thing led to another and my friend Neil and I started just making videos for these songs and uh, so now I'm going to roll them out for the next four months I just got to find some YouTube for them yeah yeah so I'm going to start to populate my YouTube channel and uh we're able to like peel out little bits of content because you know he's good at what he does and you know I think we're at a time now where content is it's a funny thing it's just a funny conversation because content actually is easy in a lot of ways but still there's a lot of this old school stuff where people are trying to say well you need you know you have to push the button right it's a mm-hmm. funny thing like in the 90s I almost studied media you know, I mean, it was, they say that what the medium is the message, right? Like there's this binary thing where it's like, it's either on or it's off. Like sometimes I feel like when you're on social media, really all that you're, you, all that you are is on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but right. essentially the message is I'm on the little green lights on, always, I'm on or I'm not on, you know what I mean? Nobody really has the time to right. Yeah. So those little bites are extremely interesting to me, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, okay, you're So so over the next few months I think my, my social media will be interesting so if you can figure out how to spell my name and I'll give you a hint you just go on the Spin Doctors page and I'm the guitar player <laughs> and it's like you know then I'm going to you know I'm going to be like messing with my my, my uh, dropping little bits of these videos and, cool. and we've had a lot of fun using you know crazy new cameras and stuff like that so yeah and I'm about to do a, a, a re- another a re-record release party too uh, at uh, the Doghouse which is uh, Neil's soundstage down at Liberty Village in Toronto okay and we're when's gonna, that happening that's going to be on Tuesday and uh, this Tuesday yeah, it's, it's, oh I'm not sure this will go up that no soon, it won't it's yeah. in it's invite only anyway <laughs> okay alright and it's a small place but, but I'm doing is is uh, if you can look for it on YouTube as well because that performance is going to be more like um, a record release gig that you know is going to exist on media right so mm-hmm. in, in conjunction with all this stuff so I'm just going to be dropping content yeah you know for the next for the, for the rest of the year okay you know just to populate you know my you know my my park with yeah. you know my scent yeah <laughs> <laughs> my social media all thing, right. You know. So keep an eye out on on social media and Wednesdays. Yeah, Wednesdays. At Grossman's. Yeah, no, that's right. I'll Excellent. sing for you. We'll, I love it. That's great. Awesome. Toronto. Thank you very much, Eric. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Cool. I love it. Rock and roll. Yeah, from the bird's nest. Adamantium.